Welcome to Press Room on Radio Town. Presented by Garrard's Horse and Hound. Making shopping easier with their online store. The same extensive catalogue, the same keen prices online or over the phone. 1-800-060-896 or visit horseandhound.com.au. Good morning, everyone. This is Press Room for Monday the 4th of December. Thanks for your company. All of our regular panellists. Ben Dorry's not too far away. In fact, he's on the line, ready to go. Also speak to Chris Barsby about the Inter-Dominion Series, ID 23. First round of heats will run on Friday night. Next round of heats tomorrow night. We'll have a good chat with Chris. And also, I'm going to speak with author Wayne Peake this morning, a book that's been released just recently, an outstanding publication. We'll talk more about it midway through the program. Always interested in your news, your views, agree or disagree, you know the drill, but just if you don't know the drill, you can contact me uh, via Twitter on, at Radio Tab Oz, or you can text me at 499 putter 499 786837 499 Let me know what you think. And, of course, the podcast, it's out weekly. You can get that on the the link from Radio Tab Oz or go to Spotify and search under Radio Tab. Press room each and every Monday. It's brought to you with the compliments of Garrard's Horse and Hound. Well, the track rating is one of the most important items of information in a punter's armoury. Now, this is regularly illustrated by conversation about the state of the track leading into the meeting, during the meeting and then in post-race discussions and assessments. Disappointingly, and it's an Australian-wide issue, these ratings are often falling short of the mark. And tellingly, it's the same few reasons being mirrored from state to state. Let's discuss them. First up, the race day rating is made at least five hours before the meeting commences, sometimes longer. A great example is the heavy eight rating for Doombin on Saturday. Now, that was advertised all morning, but Blind Freddy knew the track wouldn't be heavy. This morning rating needs to be marked provisional with a notation. For example, will be soft seven and improving by race one. Further, an inspection needs to be, to be made an hour before the first race. And if need be, that provisional rating changed to the race day rating. Secondly, why do stewards stubbornly reassess the tracks by increments of one? You could count on one hand the times the stewards panel as bold, courageous or honest enough to go from, say, a heavy eight to a soft five? Is it embarrassment or convenient cover because a wrong rating was made in the first place? This mindset of limping back one by one clearly needs to change. Thirdly, the practice of asking jockeys to ride over the track and then taking their advice on the state of the track has to stop. You could ask five different jockeys and possibly get five different replies. I've heard it time and time again, particularly during a race meeting. All this does is muddy the waters. Fourthly, the policy of rating the track to its worst part is just nonsense. I've even heard that if the shoots are, say, a heavy nine and the course proper is a soft seven, the rating posted will be a heavy nine. That's simply insane. To conclude... And using the South East Queensland example to, to illustrate our view, the recuperative powers of Eagle Farm, Doombin, Ipswich and Sunshine Coast are second to none as a result of excellent track management. Those entrusted with that duty deserve the highest praise, but at the same time, they need to maintain faith and belief in their tracks and rate them accordingly. 
And stewards panels need to lift their act as part of their role. Sadly, their report cards on track ratings are nowhere near an A. You're listening to Press Room on Radio Tab. Ben Dorries is back from the Wild West. Well, I hope he is. Are uh, you in Brisbane this morning? Good morning. Yeah, I am, David. I'm going to say something you would never expect me to hear in your wildest dreams. I What's reckon that? I've been on this show for at least six or seven years, listening to it a lot longer than that, listening to your editorials. That was your finest editorial. That was absolutely precision, what you said just then about tracks and track ratings. That was uh, David Fowler at his best. Uh, <laughs> you didn't expect me to say that, did you? No, but I, I think you hit the absolute nail on the head. I think you summed it up absolutely superbly, and I think anyone listening, if they missed it, should get the podcast of this show and go and have a listen to what you said. Bravo, old mate. That was perfect. Well, importantly, let's hope something happens out of it. We'll see. You, We spoke yesterday on... Uh, past the post and primarily we were talking about overpass winning the winter bottom an expected victory he was the favourite but you also uh, alluded to Amelia's jewel just either refresh our listeners or inform our listeners who mightn't have been there yesterday about Amelia's jewel very interesting information yeah well Amelia's jewel is definitely uh, going to uh, resume or start her campaign in the quokka which obviously uh, she ran a fast-finishing second to overpass in last year, that rich slot race in uh, Western Australia. I probably get the month wrong, but I think it's April, isn't it? Um, so she will she will be seeing her in that. We won't be seeing her in the, the Perth Summer Carnival at all. But Simon Miller has flagged, and I'll clarify this further with him this week. I was actually endeavouring to catch up with him um, at Ascot uh, when I was over there for the winter bottom. We just didn't cross paths. But very much... Um, very, very likely she will be seen in Brisbane during the winter. He flagged Adelaide potentially as well, but look, I think given the prize money um, and the status up here of the, of the carnival, the Queensland Winter Carnival, that is, and the smorgasbord of races for her as mm. well, which let's not forget ends with a you know a, a Group 1 Tatsiara, potentially a Stradbroke. I mean, I, I think the Stradbroke could set up perfectly for Amelia's Jewel if the preparation, uh, you know, sort of went to script. So Look, we, we, I mean, we've heard potentially, oh, I wish I win, uh, you know, mooted in dispatches is, you know, coming up to Queensland next winter as well. Um, so, look, I mean, even if we get one of those two, Amelia's Jewel sounds very likely to me. I'll do some further digging this week, um, but I would be surprised, assuming all goes well, obviously, between now and then, if we, if we don't see her. And, gee whiz, you know, uh, nothing really went right for her, did it? Um, apart from her first couple of runs in Melbourne uh, after that, uh, everything that the Turak run was it was a miss, and then obviously she copped that shocking interference uh, down uh, in Sydney in the um, the Golden Eagle, wasn't it? So, look, uh, she's a headline horse, she's a high horse, and I reckon we're going to see her in Brisbane next winter, David. The the, the Amelia's Jewel team they they have a a pleasant headache, but a headache nevertheless because she's such a good mare. So of course, being a mare opens up further possibilities, but because she's very good. And she's also very effective over a good distance range. She can win a 1,200-metre race and she can win a mile race, maybe even further. They're spoiled by choice whenever Carnival comes along, aren't they? Yeah, I spoke to a very, very astute judge. Nothing to do with the Amelia's Jewel Camp, but um, went to a lunch in uh, Perth uh, last Friday and there was a group of much smarter minds than me around the table. And, And one of them said to me, and he's been in racing for 50 years, he said, look, he said Amelia's Jewel 
yeah, they haven't really worked out the distance for her. She's a sprinter. That's what he said. He said, I mm. guarantee you, she's a 1,200-metre, 1,400-metre horse. She's dynamic with that lethal turn of foot. Um, I said, forget about, you know, 1,600-metre races, Cox plates, et cetera, et cetera. This guy, who knows his stuff, was absolutely convinced uh, she is at her lethal best over the twelve to 1,400-metre range. So that's interesting sort of stuff, David. We talked about overpass yesterday, and uh, the win's well documented. I want to just touch on Bjorn Baker this morning, and I've really got to like this bloke over the year. Now, we've had him on, on our program several times. He's had a wonderful year uh, in terms of results, overpass winning the Quokka as well as the Winterbottom, uh, Osmosis, the Coolmore, Arapahoe earlier in the year. So it's been a great a great year for Bjorn and his team. But it's just the bloke, uh, he's hard not to like, isn't he? Oh, absolutely, and we saw that another side to him too, didn't we? Last week, when when his um, mm. his stable, his lovely wife Andrea does the social media for him, but that um, that video, which pretty much went viral on on sort of you know Twitter and, and the internet, of him actually breaking down in tears when he was talking about you know how much the the year and, and some of the breakthroughs he's had, including Coolmore, uh, sorry, Osmosis in the Coolmore, how much all that's meant to him. So we saw a new side of him there, but look. The side that we're accustomed to is the side that I saw over in Perth. He, he's very much up and about. He enjoys a drink. He enjoys a good time. And you know what? If you're an owner, why wouldn't you want to have, um, you know, a, a horse with this guy? Like, he's uh, he's terrific. And I'll tell you what I love about him as well. And when I talk about the media, I, I'm, I'm not being self-centred here. I mean, the media is effectively the voice to the wider public. He gets the media, David. He really does. He sees the media almost as like an arm of, of his business. And what I mean by that is, like, he's not sort of sucking up to the media or anything, but what he's doing, if some, if a journalist rings, whether it's me, it's, it's you, it's the TV, you know, whoever it is, he thinks, well, that's good publicity for my business. That's good promotion for my business. And he doesn't mind dropping a colourful line or a provocative line or, or something because he, he just gets it. Like, give me a trainer like that rather than the, the, yeah, the trainer that you're in sometimes who gives you three-word answers and doesn't want to tell you anything about anything. I think in this day and age, uh, yeah, I, I mean, you know, we see trainers setting up horses with owners and whatever. That's fair enough. I mean, that's terrific, and we used to see a lot of that in the old days. But I, I think, you know, in this day and age of social media and, and, and informi- information out there everywhere, it's good to see a trainer really expressing himself and getting amongst it like Bjorn does. I wasn't, I was with him on Friday, I wasn't with him on Saturday night, but I guarantee you, he would have had a fabulous time, David. I don't know where he ended up, but it would have been good. Yeah, I saw that video attached to your story, and he's he's watching the race basically, you know, in the home straight, but sort of near a bar area. Often he goes the early crow, but he, he just waited, he just he just held his breath, and, and then, he, then he let rip that last 50 metres, but it's, it's good to watch, but... He's had a he's had a great year. Uh, just before we go off Perth, um, here on the Eastern Seaboard, we watch the races. Some of us don't really get involved in Western Australian racing. We don't really know how things click over there. Just in terms of Saturday, it's their Carnival Day, so you were there on the ground. Atmosphere, crowd, all good. Well, a little bit underwhelming, I've got to say, David. Now, normally the winner bottom, uh, and in fact, any group one over there, it's really rocking and rolling. Uh, mm. th- there's a stack of people. There's a terrific atmosphere. There was a decent atmosphere this year, but probably uh, a lot lower than what I've experienced in previous years. But I think there's several reasons for that. One, uh, there was a Robbie Williams concert, I think, a couple of nights before or maybe even the night before. So if you're forking out three or $400 for, for Robbie Williams tickets, which a lot of people in Perth did, you're probably not backing up... Uh, you know, to spend money at the races. I think there might have been a Coldplay concert over there as well. 
And I guess, too, the Winterbottom field outside of, of Overpass and a couple of good Perth three-year-olds, there wasn't a real headline horse, was there? I mean, we, we, we quite often see some big-name, um, you know, southern horses come, uh, come over for the race. But there just wasn't that this year, you know. Like, it, it, was, it was a decent race without being spectacular. So, look, it was still fun. And, look, anyone who hasn't been to Perth, you should put it on your bucket list to go to the races there. I'll tell you what they do have. Now, this is a very, very simple thing to say, but it's correct. Everywhere you are at Ascot on the Perth racetrack looks out, whether in the members, the public, the, the bookies ring, a bar, it looks out towards the course. I mean, that's simple, isn't it? But there's so many racetracks around Australia and around the world where you see members' areas, public areas, and you might not even know the races were on. They're sort of out the back somewhere. So they do a terrific job in terms of promoting their product and enhancing their product in that way. But, yeah, the atmosphere, I didn't think, uh, was quite as good as it is in, in you know, most years. Having said that, uh, Bjorn and, and his crew certainly went off after overpass one, the Winterbottom. Interesting comments. I think we're starting to get a, a stronger picture or a better feel about the Magic Millions, which is still six weeks away, but, but Saturday we started to see some things. Uh, Storm Boy winning at Rose Hill on debut for Gay and Adrian. And this horse and Niza, who won very easily at Caulfield, are both Magic Millions graduates, so they're right in the market. And uh, this Saturday we're going to see the Callaway Gallon feel and ready at Eagle Farm. So the, the, the jigsaw is starting the pieces are starting to be put in and all the the picture is starting to look stronger uh markets have you got any handle on, on the tab market on, on the magic minions yeah i have the tab market is going to go up this morning on the the uh the two-year-old um race and i can tell you the bodyguard uh that uh expensive um blue bud worth 1.6 million dollars that peter paul snowden's that won so well on debut is the six dollar equal favorite with storm boy who we saw win well uh, obviously on the weekend. Spywire at $8, straight charge at $8. And the horse that you referred to, Peter Moody's horse, where I think he's umming and ahhing about whether mm. to, you know, to take it to the Magic Millions or hang on to it for a blue diamond. And these is $15. So, look, still very, very early markets, aren't they? I mean, there's still a lot of lot more two-year-olds to be uh, produced, including in those races that you just referenced, the, the Callaway Girl and the Feel and Ready, which I really look forward to. I mean, you probably don't see the, 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 the top tier, two-year-olds in those uh, some years. But, look, you, you certainly get a handle on the better two-year-olds. Well, I'm sure we'll see some southern invaders coming in the next few weeks. Um, so, yeah, so have a go to tab.com.au and have a look at those markets. This morning when they're released, I'm not quite sure if they're up yet, but if they're, if they're not now, uh, they will be this morning. So, And, of course, we should mention as well that the Gold Coast track, the Gold Coast grass track, kicks back into action uh, on Saturday. So it'll be all eyes. Uh, I'm in... Yeah, plenty of eyes on Eagle Farm, obviously, with the, the Premier Metropolitan meeting, but there will be plenty of eyes on the Gold Coast and our performance on Saturday as well. Yeah, and those uh, markets are up now for the uh, for the Magic Millions races, the, the two-year-old and also the three-year-old, the Magic Millions three-year-old guineas, where Royal Tribute has opened the favourite at $6 over Chrysler at $8. Just before you go, Mitch Cohen's ready to talk to us from Sydney uh, the Gateway is another interesting race on Saturday, a four-year-old only race. Previously, the horse who won it got a, a free ticket into the Stradbroke. Well, it's a, a Gateway with a difference this year where I think it's the, the winning owner or the major shareholder will have the opportunity basically to have a slot in the, in the Star Stradbroke. 
Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? I know you're not a huge fan. I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm sitting on the fence getting splinters in my bum a bit. I want to see how it works. I don't mind the idea because, I mean, let's face it, uh, say you get something at uh, 40 to 1, win the gateway on Saturday on a heavy track. Now, it's not going to be heavy, but it's, you know, pretend it was a heavy 10 and something at 40 to 1 gets up and automatically it's in the Stradbroke and it's dead set a 500 to 1 chance in the Stradbroke. I don't like that, I've got to say. I mean, having said that, there's been some some good horses like Vega 1 and Apache uh, Chase uh, win um, the gateway and then become subsequent Group 1 winners. But look, I don't mind it, I've got to say. So the owner sort of controls the, the strings, talking to the trainer, he can put another one of his horses in or her horses in or or negotiate with, with the winning trainer or, or other trainers. I, I guess it's just the tin tax behind it, how it all sort of plays out. Uh, and obviously, we wait until the last couple of weeks behind the, but you know, before the strap broke, we see the, the top 40, they get to choose one of those that's not going to be in the field. So, Look, I don't mind it because um, it's December, isn't it? So much can happen and so much can go wrong between December and Stradbroke Day. So choosing a horse uh, for the Stradbroke, effectively a slot-style scenario, uh, close to the race, I don't mind, but I can understand some of the negativity towards it too. Let's just wait to see how it plays out, David. Good on you, Ben. We'll talk during the week. Thank you. Ben Dorries joining us. Yes, uh, the Gateway, the Star Gateway being the main feature. We mentioned the Callaway Gallon of Feeling Ready. Also the uh, the bribey for the sprinters, the just now for the fillies and me. So another good day coming up. Day four of the summer carnival under the BRC banner this Saturday at Eagle Farm. Mitch Cohen's on the line now from the Daily Telegraph. Mitch, good morning. Good morning, David, and good morning to all the listeners. Yeah, hopefully, um, hopefully you had a good weekend on the punt. Uh, no, I didn't actually. But anyway, <laughs> how did you fare at the golf last Monday in the end? Look, to be honest, I fared better than I thought I was going to. We uh, we ended up finishing second on the day. We had the best player on the day in, in Brad Gray there, who was um, pro- well carried the hopes of a side and um, carries the hopes of a nation of, of a weekend on the punt, I think. But uh, look, um, yeah, we went okay. We weren't terrible, um, but uh, just come up short. Fair enough. Well, Racing New South Wales uh, will soon have a new chairman. Just how long this takes to happen remains to be seen. But Russell Balding, of course, who'd been the, the long-time chairman of Racing New South Wales, was hopeful that his tenure would be extended by the New South Wales state government. Now, this has been a story that's been bubbling along for the last few weeks. And, and I must admit I got it wrong. I, I thought there'd be no drama about Balding's tenure being extended. But the more I started to read as day by day went along, I thought the odds started to lengthen because there was resistance from high-profile names. But in the end, it all happens in the parliament or in the in, in the government. And it went right down to the wire, the early hours of Friday morning, the last sitting day of the New South Wales State Parliament. And basically, the, the government, the men's government, who were proposing the legislation, uh, looked at the amendments and then scrap their own legislation. So balding is out. Yeah, speaking of things that just come up short, um, like us on the golf day last week, it's looked to be, um, if you looked about three weeks ago, um, you would have thought it was happening. It's probably easy to, to go back to the start of where it's, this becomes an issue. Um, obviously, uh, with state statutory authorities in New South Wales, the maximum term of 10-year ten ten tenure is in place for, for board members and the like. Now, Russell Boulding uh, started with Racing New South Wales in 2011, uh, was chair a few years after that. So uh, two years ago, he was awarded an extension to keep running Racing New South Wales um, as the chairman. 
um, look, this was uh, a, a different thing altogether at, at the time. So when they were, were looking for another couple of years here, um, we sort of had a precedent of about two years ago uh, where he already had the extension now. Uh, the reason behind the extension, I guess, from internally on Racing New South Wales is, uh, well, they say, um, obviously, uh, the sport's never been brighter under his leadership. Um, which I think you could probably say is fair. Um, racing New South Wales, um, racing in the sport is flying. Uh, the issue for many is, I guess, um, how, how long uh, we can stick with one person in charge. There's obviously um, the ne- always the need for free-flowing thought, um, different ideas and, and different directions. Um, look, but then obviously it went into Parliament last weekend, uh, or last Friday evening, and once... Uh, once the police got hold of it, it uh, became a bit of a political war, didn't it? It certainly did, and uh, the, the Minns government r- risked losing the, the vote on the floor, which is always a major embarrassment for any incumbent party. But anyway, the bottom line was they pulled their own legislation, so it's not proceeding. So now they have to find a new chairman. So it will be interesting to see where that heads. And it, it, it peaked a bit of interest here in Queensland as well because come next April the entire Board of Racing Queensland are up for reappointment and I'd be betting long odds if they're all reappointed uh, and there's even a suggestion maybe none of them will be reappointed but that's a story down the track but that's going to happen in April. Uh, Storm Boy won on Saturday. We just discussed Storm Boy. He's one of the favourites in the, the first tab uh, fixed markets for the, the Magic Minions. Am I right in saying Gay and Adrian are producing... Another uh, debutante this week at a horse called Jupiter Hills. They're producing a few in, in the coming weeks, obviously. They've had just an outstanding start to the year. They've won all bar one of the Saturday two-year-old races in Sydney so far. Obviously, Shangri-La Express won on debut and then went to win the Golden Gift. Storm Boy, obviously, so brilliant. Um, just an update on both of those horses. Storm Boy, yes, will head to the... Looks like he'll be headed towards the Gold Coast. Shangri-La Express... Um, obviously a Magic Millions horse unlikely to go to the Magic Millions. Uh, they, they, they're heading to the autumn with him, straight to the autumn so um, if there's any early markets there I haven't seen the early markets today but if anyone's looking at them, um, I'd probably steer clear of him because it's unlikely you'll see him on the Gold Coast. But uh, Look, they've, uh, they've got just an endless supply of two-year-olds at the moment don't they, Gay and Adrian? It seems um, well, just across all um, Across all grades, they're having a great season, but their two-year-olds are just flying. Jupiter Hills, um, one of two horses that they, they're prepared to unleash. We've got the Magic Moons, obviously, coming up, and obviously the uh, English Nursery on Saturday. So, uh, look, it's a big couple of days. I'll unleash two horses this weekend. One of them, well, sorry, not this weekend, Jupiter Hills and Talk. Talk will run this weekend at Jupiter Hills. Uh, we've got uh, the English uh, Wyong race on Wednesday week. Wednesday week is where I was moving with that. Fair enough. Just going back to Saturday at Rose Hill Gardens, there's every chance that the trifecta out of the Festival Stakes will all back up into the Ingham this Saturday. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm just, um, just to clarify that, I've gone the wrong way. Talk will line up uh, Talk will line up at the Igles, uh next week at uh, the Magic Millions two-year-old classic at Jupiter Hills in the nursery. So just to clarify that, but horses that will go to this Saturday, yes, um, we had the festival stakes last week, and there was obviously a plan from a few trainers 
to back up their horses and Williamsburg uh, was one of those and as was Rustic Steel. Now both Gerald Ryan and Sterling Alexia as well as Chris Lees were keen to back up their horses and off their we- displays on the weekend, um, why not? I mean that festival stakes was uh, a thriller in the end. It ended up having to go to the stewards room. Obviously um, the connections behind Williamsburg thought they had a case. Um, they yeah. sort of did have a case. I think if you go back and watch Fierce and does pop off the fence but there is a a couple of lengths between them at the time. And I think the interference, as Steve Ralton said on, on the day, the interference of Rustic Steel shifting in really impacted that interference. So it was hard to really know if it cost him the result. He was obviously desperately unlucky, Williamsburg. He's got uh, a good race in him soon, whether it's this Saturday. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. But he's, he's going really well. He's obviously still an entire, So um, a big race win uh, still uh, looks, looks good on the breeding page down the track. Looks as though it's going to be a big field in the Ingham on Saturday over the mile. $2 million detonated Jack, who initially we thought might go to the Ballarat Cup. Uh, they've elected to stay in Sydney and they'll run in the Ingham. He's the $4 tab favourite. Ossipenko at $6. Grabini at 8 Rustic Steel at 9 And just looking for Fearson there, currently at $15. A lot of horses in the market. Williamsburg at 15 as well. I don't know much about this trainer, Mike Cattell. I don't know much about this horse, Zagallo, but just reading some post-race reports, uh, Mike has some fairly lofty plans in mind uh, for this horse to go, or potentially in mind. What story this was. Yeah, Mike uh, had his first win. Obviously, he wouldn't be a name that many know, really. Um, Mike was a, a builder by trade and has only sort of got into the training ranks in recent years. Trains out of Nowra, south of Sydney. He's had his first city winner on Saturday uh, in the Country Classic. Now, the Country Classic's a, a 2,000-metre event that's run every year uh, towards the end of the carnival. He's won this race. His horse has come back from a bowed tendon um, in the past 12 months. He was dreaming, well, globally, everywhere. He, he sort of he wants to take on the globe with this horse, which is just amazing. Um, it will, I, look... Best of luck to him, obviously. He said he's been contacted by Dubai earlier this year to, to, to potentially go to the Dubai World Cup in Medellin in, uh, in March. And then, of course, the race he really wanted, uh, which he was going for, was the Ascot Gold Cup over 4,000 metres. He wants to get this also over a trip next year, um, obviously in the Ascot Gold Cup all the way over in the Northern Hemisphere in England. So just um, an incredible story if he can get it done. Obviously, being his first city winner, I don't... Um, I mean, best of best of luck to everyone dreaming big. He's obviously got some big plans. Obviously, a fair bit of water to go under the bridge yet. I think a trip to Melbourne's on the card first. Um, if that all goes to plan, then why not? Take on the globe. As they say, Mitch, dreams are free. But just before you go, Chris Barsby's about to join me. Uh, another suspension for Nash on the weekend. Unfortunately so. Look, I think um, Nash had such good momentum at the start of the season. Um, he wasn't the only one to spend it on Saturday, but uh, he's, he's, I guess, the more costly of them, given that he is our Premiership leader at the moment. And James McDonald's got that little window overseas for this. So pockets good for guys like him to sort of build a bank if they, they want to test for this Sydney Premiership this year. But unfortunately, Nash, in the final race of the day, he put his hands up, um, knew he was fault with suspended for careless riding, Unfortunately, that will see him miss that Wong Magic Millions Day card. Um, and also, uh, unfortunately, no Saturday meetings. But he'll be sidelined for the majority of next week, um, unfortunately for him. So he'll miss a couple of Metro meetings, but not the Saturday meeting. So uh, fingers crossed Nash can get back in the saddle soon. 
Yeah, he's on 33 wins on the Metro Premiership, but by gee, Tyler Schiller, Jason Collin and J-Mac are right behind him, stalking. Good on you, Mitch. We'll talk next Monday. Cheers, mate. There he is, Mitch Cohen, uh, currently the racing editor of the Daily Telegraph. Well, the first round of heats for ID23 were run at Albion Park on Friday night. A storm came through just before the first race, which rented the track, rain-affected. But it didn't stop the, the right horses winning. The, the short price favourites were, by and large, successful. Chris Barsby joins me. Chris, good morning. David, good morning to you. Good morning, everyone. As I said, it basically went according to script. Uh, four paces heats, leap to fame, uh, held time on us at 1.51. Better Eclipse, 1.51.5. Future assured. Uh, what a revelation he's been in recent times. 1.51.9 and Swayze at 1.52.5. I suppose out of the paces heats, the only downside was rock and roll do, earning only miserable points. Yeah, there's no doubt about that, David. I think it largely went to script there on Friday night. And being uh, December 1, uh, right on cue, the heavens opened, as you said, uh, during that first race. And it made conditions a little tricky, I suppose more so for the southern invaders that came up for the series as well. The locals uh, well accustomed to the uh, the summer storms that we get here in Queensland at this time of year. So I did speak with Michael Stanley. Look, he was a little disappointed, but he said that his horse just never felt comfortable uh, on the surface. And uh, he said that he felt like he was skating. But, gee, it puts a lot of pressure on uh, going into tomorrow night, the second round of heats. He's got the same draw as what he had to overcome there on Friday night, gate seven. He will appreciate going up in distance, I'm sure. We go from the mile on Friday night to 2,138 metres. So he was the disappointment. Leap to fame. He looks so dominant winning his heat. Uh, one fifty-one, as you said, quickest time of the night. Uh, future is short. That was his sixth sub-152 victory there on Friday night. He, he is a revelation, no doubt. Trent Dawson's doing a super job with him, so he'll be able to gain maximum points, better eclipse. We know how good a short-course horse he is. He's a sunshine sprint winner. He's a miracle mile place getter. He did what was required. And Swayze, oh, I've got to thank up to Jason Grimson. That was his first heat-winning uh, victory there. He's won the past two into the Minion Grand Finals, but he's never trained the heat winner until Swayze scored on Friday night. Keeping in mind, this horse was in New Zealand only a couple of weeks ago, taking on their best in their biggest race, a stand start two-mile event. So to get him back to Australia, get him to Brisbane, and back at a mile and have him sharp like he was there, uh, I thought that was a terrific training performance, and I wouldn't read anything into the time. Because you've got to keep in mind, David, he went around in the last heat for the paces, so the track was probably getting a little chopped up by that stage. So he was awesome. What is interesting, though, out of all of those four heat winners on Saturday night, they've all, uh, on Friday night, I should say, they've all got second-row draws tomorrow mm. night. So this is going to be interesting to see how they handle it uh, tomorrow night over the extra distance. Yeah, well, let's just touch on that because Tab have the fixed odds markets up for the second round of heats, and, of course... There were four on Friday night, three tomorrow night at the 21.38 metres with the 12 runners. And you mentioned Swayze inside second row. So $2, you're getting black figures currently. And there are three other legitimate players market-wise at least. Number two, Speak the Truth, 460. Number one, Pete said so at $5. And Rock and Roll Do, which we just mentioned, number seven at $5. Surely he must go for tomorrow night, Stanley, on Rock and Roll Do. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, this is... 
this is crunch time for, for rock and roll do tomorrow night. He can't afford to have anything go against him. So I think he's got to take this race by the scruff of its neck, go forward, uh, press for the lead if possible. If not, he'll have to probably uh, park outside the speed and, uh, you know, just try and out-muscle his rivals. But um, this is going to be a fascinating heat. Swayze drawn the inside of the second row. I'm sure they will gamble with him tomorrow night because of that draw. And you've got to keep in mind, he gained maximum points there on Friday night. So does that change the mindset? But keeping in mind, this horse, since being under the care of Jason Grimson, is yet to taste defeat. He's mm. had 10 starts now for the Grimson stable, 10 victories. So do they want to keep this uh, this strike rate intact? Or do they try and just keep the eye on the prize for the big dance coming up on December 16 and just try and get enough points to, to safely get him through to the final? So... It's going to be interesting to see how they attack that race. Speak the truth needs to step up as well. Uh, he was okay there on Friday night, but uh, he gets his prime opportunity now uh, with a front row draw and a key front row draw. So maybe he might be the big improver in that heat. A better Eclipse will run from barrier four on the second line in the following heat, and he's marked at $1.75. And there's only other two considered... Uh, in the market, Narano, another Grimson runner, number seven at four dollars, and the speedy turn it up draws the pole at four forty. Yeah, I think Better Eclipse is still the horse to beat, despite the the second row draw. Like I said, he was very tradesman-like, winning his heat there on Friday night, three wide to the breeze, and although the winning margin wasn't great, you know that there was still a little bit uh, in the tank there with Better Eclipse. So. He's going to be perfectly managed throughout this series by his trainer Jess Tubbs and driver Greg Sugars. Turn it up, I think, will be better. Uh, I'm not entirely sure he was comfortable uh, with the surface there on Friday night, given the storm that swept through. Waxadance, the local, could be the improver. He's drawn directly behind Turn It Up, and he is capable. He's a proven horse that has been able to win by the sprint lane. So I wouldn't be shocked to see him improve. And Narano... His past couple of runs have been excellent on the on the clock, sectionally-wise, but this is a tough draw for him, gate number seven. Yeah, Black Sedan's $23.380, and leap to fame in the the last uh, pacing heat on Tuesday night, uh, legitimately, I feel, at $1.25. But Spirit of St. Louis, $4.60, drawn the two, and our money rocks drawn inside of him at $8.00. Yeah, and it looks obvious in this heat, David, with Leap to Fame, given how strong and dominant he was taking his heat on Friday night. And the other thing to keep in mind with him, the longer we go, uh, the better he's going to be. We're starting to get into his wheelhouse now as far as distance. So up to 2,138 metres, two starts ago, he obliterated the track record here at Albion Park. So uh, I think he's clearly going to dominate this heat. Spirit of St. Louis, he was well-driven. Uh, but probably just got into a, an awkward spot in the end following up Rock and Roll Do. At the time, it was the right move, but uh, given the, the brilliant sectionals that were carved out there by Future Assured in that heat on Friday night, uh, he just probably got into a, a, an awkward spot in the end. He needs to be better. I'm still not sure he's anywhere near his best spirit of St. Louis. And our money rocks. He was really good sectionally there on Friday night. Drawn barrier one, I think he's a, a must if you're looking at the top three there. I think he'll run another cracking race. And just quickly before we go, we've run out of time. Queen Elite is a dollar fifty in the in one trotting heat, and just believe a dollar forty in the other heat. Uh, your impressions of Queen Elite on Friday night? Uh, disappointing. Um, I'm just not sure where she's at. 
she was easily handled by Just Believe in their final run in Melbourne before coming up for this series, and then she was beaten on her merits. There was no excuse on Friday night. Maybe we just undersold the horse that beat her there, Plymouth Chubb. Brilliant juvenile. Uh, his point-to-point speed was just phenomenal. Around the quickest sectional of any trotter there on the night, and he draws gate two tomorrow night where Just Believe, who he's got to tackle now, as the inside of the second mm. row. This is going to be a real interesting heat, this one. Maybe we've got a legitimate player for the final in Plymouth Chubb. We'll know more tomorrow night. Good on you, Chris. Good calling tomorrow night. I'll be there tomorrow night to enjoy the action. Look forward to seeing you there. I uh, look forward to it. Thanks, David. Chris Barsby, who, of course, is broadcasting all of the action of ID23. Well, I think many of you know that uh, I, I love the history of racing. And unfortunately, or sadly these days, we don't see a lot of it in print form or book form. There's a lot on the internet, and I understand that. But I've recently discovered a publication just released, almost 500 pages, beautifully produced, an outstanding publication called Sydney Racing in the 1970s. And I'll tell you one thing. You don't have to be a Sydney cider to enjoy the book. In fact, I think any racing enthusiast will uh, swoon over this book. I I saw one... uh, a educated man describe it as. The man who wrote the book is Wayne Peake and he's been kind enough to join me on Press Room this morning. Wayne, good morning. How are you? Hi, David. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Just give us a bit of background to who Wayne Peake is and your involvement with racing. Uh, purely a racegoer, David. Uh, I started going to the races in 1975 at the age of 14 um, and hardly missed a Saturday an occasional Wednesday when I could school you know um for till late 1980s but uh yeah i was just always um i went to the races first time in 1968 at campbell grange with my pop and dad um and i just couldn't get over it i went down to the rails and watched the jockeys go out there's only small fields but uh, i was mesmerized and and after that day i just couldn't get back to the races quickly enough but i had to wait until pop asked me occasionally until i was more or less old enough to go on which i started to do but yeah just purely a race goer and this is not the first book you've written either. No, I wrote a book in uh, 2006 called Sydney's Pony Race Courses, um, which was based on my PhD thesis. And that's about, um, as the t- title suggests, the, the old um, pony race courses of Sydney, um, the, the later ones, Victoria Park, Ascot, Rosebury, Kensington um, and Victoria Park. Um, uh, yeah, so um, that came out in 2006. Uh, it, it, in brief, it did spoke about how popular those courses were. Mm. In fact, how they were even more popular than the AJC registered courses like um, Warwick Farm and and Rosehill and Canterbury uh, at the time, and they had enormous crowds, especially during First World War. Um, you know, they'd, they'd have a crowd of twenty thousand in Victoria Park, and there was a meeting at Canterbury the same day, which would only attract six or seven thousand. Exactly right. Um... I suppose a, a legitimate question when speaking to you about this book, Sydney Racing in the 1970s, why did you choose the 1970s? And I suppose you've half answered the question by saying that's when you are in your, your teenage years and you started to really enjoy and love the theatre of, of the mm. racetrack. Yeah, that's true, but there's more to it than that. It's, the 1970s were an intriguing decade, apart from the great horses um, like Kingston Town and Manicato and, and Guns In and Tails. But um, it was also that that last hurrah of the great post-war racing boom, um, uh, you know, the, 10 years after, or six years after the introduction of the, uh, the TAB in, in New South Wales and, and seven or eight years before pub tab and club tab came in. So it was that last period when the race course was still the only legitimate place to, to go to have a bet. 
Um, and the crowds hold up all through the decade. Um, an average of 17 or 18,000 every Saturday, every non-feature Saturday in, in Sydney. And it didn't matter where the races were at, Warwick Farm Race or even Canterbury. Um, they, you'd get the same crowd every week, basically, apart from bad weather. And you'd know all the faces there. You might not know who they were, but you'd see them every week. Um, so there was just a, a regular entourage of race goers. Uh, and a, it was just a great period to be at the races. And even getting there on the train, on the Razor race train, was just great fun. This book, and, and I've been fortunate enough to, to, to have a copy of it, the attention to detail is extraordinary. The, the research that's gone in, uh, it, it's hard to, to, to fathom. But I also appreciate the fact there are so many wonderful photos there, beautifully produced, uh, colour and black and white uh, over a long period. But also the book is written, whilst it's historical, <coughs> largely, it's written through your, your eyes and your mind, and that's what makes it, I think, extra special. There's four uh, features you do, so to speak, and I think you describe it as hero-worshipping. You, you've picked out four from a decade where you could have picked 444, one was a race caller, one was a journalist, one was a jockey, and one was a racetrack. How did you, tell us who the four were and why they were chosen. Uh, yeah, there were, Ken Howard was the race caller, um, Bert Lee was the, the, the uh, racing rider, Warwick Farm was the um, was the course. Actually, there's five, but I think yeah, uh, Warwick Farm, Tails the racehorse, and Kevin Moses the jockey. That's right, it was five. And I just um, I pinched the idea from David Bowie. He had a album in 1970 called 1973 called Pinups which were covers of his favourite songs. So these pinups were my favourites in each of those categories. Ken Howard probably got, he was the first caller I heard, but he was just so ubiquitous, especially in New South Wales. His voice was as well-known as the Prime Minister's Robert Menzies. Um, he did he, in ads, uh, in movies, uh, television shows, uh, you know, the, uh, in the context of a city pub on a Saturday afternoon with his race calls going. Uh, Tales, because my pop won a lot of money off me in 1969, leading up to the Melbourne Cup. Uh, Warwick Farm. Uh, I didn't like it at the first time I went there, but I can then realise it's, it's sylvan beauties uh, over the course of the, that decade in the 1970s and just how beautiful a place it, it is, was and is. Uh, and Kevin Moses, I, I, I don't know how that came about, other than maybe names sound a bit like Mozart, who I was a bit of a fan of, um, but I just picked him to follow out, follow up as my stable jockey, so to speak. And uh, I became obsessed with him. And he, he said to me one day, you know more about me than I do, which was a bit embarrassing, <laughs> really, you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah that's, the, that's how they come about. They're, they're, they're great features with, a, with a, a many photos, some wonderful photos there. Um, there's a, a great uh, accompaniment of, of the horses of the 70s, and, and I'm sure people, who, if they want to get a copy of the book, will remember those names. And you don't have to be a Sydney sider. You can remember them listening to Ken Howard, calling them in if you were at Eagle Farm or at, or at Mooney mm. Valley. You talk about the tracks as well, a lot of detail there about the city and and, and the country, or provincial tracks. But there's one chapter, uh, uh, in fact, two chapters. I'll discuss this one first. It's called Confessions of a Teenage Racegoer. And I defy anyone who, who reads this book, who was a teenager in the 70s, you'll resonate so strongly with it. There are so many stories there that when I was reading it over the weekend, I just thought, I can remember doing this myself. And... They're very humorous too. Yeah, I, I, I'm denying about whether to put that chapter in, David, because apart from everything else, this is a, a serious output of research um, and it sort of qualifies for the university for whom I'm a fellow to get research funding. So 
But I thought, oh, bugger it, you know. <laughs> I'll put, you put it in. I asked someone, yeah, and I said, what, what do you think? They said, I'll put them in. They're the best part of the book. Uh, so I went, well, okay. Yeah, so yeah. There, there's some funny stories. And I, the main character, a guy called Tun Curry, which isn't his real name, and um, it's a clue as to what his real name is. But uh, he, he was just a classic bloke. And he used to always describe himself as the second unluckiest, as the unluckiest bloke in the world. And then he thought about it and said, oh, no, no, second unluckiest, I'd even run second in that. And he was the guy who used to he used to put hire a pair of binoculars before the first at Rosehill most Saturdays, and he'd have to go and turn them back in before the third to get his money back because he'd be broke after the first two races. So he was a rich source of humour for me. There's a, there's a, a chapter there, and many would overlook it. They it'd almost be like uh, an addendum, but I didn't. I, I was fascinated. You've got from basically the first of January 1970 every Saturday meeting to the end of December 1979, where the meeting was, what the highlights were, what the attendance was, and what the turnover was. And uh, what I and you, you, you mentioned before about the regular Saturday crowd on a, on a bread and butter meeting, between fifteen and 20,000. Mm. But one thing that struck mm. me, times were a lot simpler than in terms of feature racing in Sydney. I mean, we've got feature racing nearly every part of the year there now, but yeah. in the 70s, it was... Doncaster was the won the gold, Epsom the silver, and Golden Slipper the bronze. It's it seemed basically that every year biggest crowd was Doncaster, then Epsom, with a slipper not far behind in third. Yeah, and making up ground. Um, but mm. the, yeah, the Doncaster, the, the, the um, Easter Carnival Ram was certainly the the premium meeting um, into the seventies and probably through most of it as well. The slipper did make up a lot of ground. Um, STC promoted it very heavily, um, and it did get crowds. Like the um, the image on the front cover of the book is the Golden Slipper Day 1977, and there were just under th- uh, 40,000, about 38,000 there. And I was there, and you can see that uh, every every part of the stands and the lawn is um, is, is occupied. So uh, yeah, uh, they they made up a lot of ground, but um, the, yeah, the, 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 it was a more clear cut um, racing season on. Uh, these days, as you mentioned, and there's a feature virtually every weekend in Sydney throughout the year, um, yeah. which is good, but also um, sort of undermines the overall structure of the of the racing season a little bit for me. Just before you go, and most importantly, and I, I highly recommend this book to our, our listeners, and at this time of year, not a bad Christmas present uh, for a racing fan. How do they get a copy? At this stage, through my website, uh, which is www. Wayne Peak, that's one word, dot com dot au, and um, just uh, there's a, instructions there on uh, payment by PayPal or, or bank transfer. But if anyone gets confused or anyone just wants to chat, just um, just email me at um, w dot peak at westerncity.edu.au. dot au. That's um, that's also on my webpage. So if you don't have a chance to write it down, so just can contact me and I'll I'll get it to you in a couple of days. And it's peak with an E on the end, P-E-K-E. That's it, yeah. Thanks for your time this morning. Uh, thanks for the work you've put in. This has been so well received, this uh, this publication. And just before you do go, the very last question, am I right in saying there's going to be volume two? Uh, I hope so. Uh, it's actually half written. I, um, I, I was compiling the whole thing and, and as one volume and worked out how big it was going to be and how long it would take me to get it out. So I decided to split it. But, um, yeah, hopefully in about 2025 or 2026 that will come out. I'll make a promise. We'll talk to you then on Press Red. But thanks for your time this morning. And, again, congratulations. You should be very proud of your endeavours.
There he is, Wayne Peake, uh, uh, author of Sydney Racing in the 1970s. Get the book. You won't be disappointed. Short break, back with Ben Scabbard. You're listening to Press Room with David Fowler on Radio Tab. You certainly are. And, of course, uh, if it's equine or canine, your one-stop shop is Garrett's Horse and Hound. They've got 13 stores across Australia and New Zealand. Garrett's Horse and Hound stock all of the big names, and they provide the very best in veterinary services. You can buy the products online, horseandhound.com.au, or there's a free call number, 1-800-060-896. Garrard's Horse and Hound present Press Room each and every Monday morning. Ben Scadden's on the line now. Ben, how are you? David, I'm very well, thank you. When I was at Adelaide earlier in the year, I had the pleasure to have a chat with Wolf Blass. I think it was at Adelaide Cup Day, and uh, I know that they were naming the event centre at Morpherville after him, and that's now been um, officially opened. Is that right? Yeah, it has. It was opened first official day on Saturday. Um, yeah, it's called the Wolf Blast The Man Event Centre. It's twenty million, twenty-one million dollar development. Um, really important part of the the commercial plan for for Morpherville moving forward. So this this is a facility that's right on the racetrack. So obviously it's got got a you know, it's a great great option for race days, but it's it's an event centre, so it's somewhere which can hold um, conferences, weddings, pretty much everything, anything you can think of, and it's a, it's a great space. Um, I've um, you know seen some good video of it and lots of photos and those kind of things, and it's um, it's a really impressive space, very very modern, stack of light, um, lots of glass in it, so it's going to be a really really popular um, function um, location, I would expect, and it's just the way that. Morfield can continue to earn money outside of its core product of racing. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense. It improves the race day experience and um, also creates that opportunity to continue to earn dollars on those those non-race days. Yeah, exactly right. I was talking to, to Ben Dorries earlier. We were talking about Amelia's Jewel, and I, I made the point that the, the, the Amelia's Jewel team, they're, they're spoiled by choice. She's such a good mare and effective over a fair distance range that there are so many races that they can look at and even which state they go to. Now there's been some consideration or given that she might be here in our winter next year but I also believe in here on the other side that she could be in your hometown in April or in, in March. Yeah that's right well, well Simon Miller um, has spoken reasonably openly about about plans for Amelia's Jewel and um, you know the Quokka obviously is pretty much locked in that's a $4 million race in their home state so it makes a lot of sense but then he said, "It's pretty much Adelaide or Brisbane. I think are the, the two realistic options for her." And he certainly said that um, the Sanks, the Stakes, and the Goodwood being two weeks apart, a little bit closer, um, could be a could be a good option for her. So, and you're right because she's, you know, she's capable over virtually any any distance. I mean, we're not going to see her in Melbourne Cup, but, but um, she's certainly very very capable over over twelve hundred metres of those sprint races. Um, obviously, the Sanks, the um, mares only looks like a you know really good option for, her, and then the Goodwood potentially as well. So fingers crossed. It's always great if you can get these these genuine headline horses across here for our our races. It makes a, makes a big difference. Um, the Sanction and the Goodwood are always very deep races. There's there's a lot of quality to them, but not there's not always necessarily a real standout performer. So yeah, let's hope that things progress as as um, as well as they can. And the Amelia's Jewel is here in. Um, in around about four or five months' time. And you, and you never know. I mean, she could 
contest that uh, thanks to Goodwood Double in May and there's mm-hmm. no reason why she couldn't just have a nice little fresh up and be there for the Tats Tiara at Eagle Farm 1400 metres in late June so it's yeah, not, well, some of them not do beyond do that, the relics. Don't they? Yeah they do do it don't they? Some horses race race during our, um, our autumn carnival then Well Ruthless Dame was one that did it and, 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 yeah. um, and, and Royal Merchant um, From Saturday quickly, uh, Aruga Mama promising horse on the way up yeah, she, she's progressive, isn't she, Aruga Mama? She's a she's a good quality staying mare now. She um, look, she should, certainly shows shows some promise in those three-year-old filly staying races during our, our autumn carnival. She always got to the line really well. She's by Churchill, and um, yeah, I think she's certainly heading in the right direction. I mean, Saturday's race probably wasn't a great um, barometer of her quality because it wasn't particularly strong, and she won very easily. She's a dollar forty-five chance, and won like a dollar forty-five chance. She won with the head on her chest, pretty much by about three lengths. Um, Andrew Gloss after the race, he was quizzed about where she might head now. So she's she's like to have a have a short break, um, then get ready for some of those races towards the end of end of summer, early autumn. Like Premier's Plate, I think sixteen hundred metres used to be the. Uh, um, the uh, Queen's birth, uh, the used to be called the Birthday Cup from memory, and the Lord Reigns, which is that precursor to the Adelaide Cup. Um, when Andrew was asked whether she would head to the Adelaide Cup potentially, um, he pretty much knocked that one on the head. I mean, things can change obviously in the next few months, but um, he thinks the 3,200 metres of the Adelaide Cup is maybe a bridge too far just at this stage of her, her career, doesn't want to blow her up. Um, in a race like that, so yeah, she's um, she's like to come back, but she's certainly heading in the right direction, and um, she she shapes as a as a mare who can end up winning a really good quality staying race at some stage. Aaron Bain and Ned Taylor, they're in training partnership, in, and they're in good form at the moment. They are. They're going going particularly well. Aaron Bain and Ned Taylor. I think since Ned's joined that team officially, um, it's made a really really big difference. They've. Um, yeah, they're really earning a very good reputation. So they got a double on Saturday. It's the first time they've had a had a Metro training double. Chateuse and Wonder Women uh, got the job done for them. It's really interesting. Their 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 tactic seems to be to buy these these tried horses online. So Chateuse was a thirty thousand dollar online buy. Wonder Women was a forty five thousand dollar online buy. Winning those races on Saturday, they virtually pay their pay their purchase price back straight away, and they've they won more than that already. Um, I did notice in the most recent English digital sale that they picked up another another three, I think, from memory there. So um, that stable is certainly building, and they're they're not going out and spending you know hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. They seem to have a have a real strategy in place, and or you can't argue with it. Seems to be working. Both those horses, Shatuzi in particular, is racing racing really really well. And thirty thousand dollars, so it looks like the the bargain of the century at the moment. They've now won a city race at their past the past five weekends. So yeah, they're going particularly well. A dazzling prospect, of course, won the Clare Cup yesterday for trainer Brett Campbell and jockey Dom Turner. Ben, thanks for your time this morning. Good on you, David. Thank you. Let's go straight to Colin McNiff. Colin, we've heard a lot about the Ray Murrahy report. I believe mm. it has been completed. It has been completed and uh, the government has received it. Uh, when we find out exactly what is in that report uh, remains to be seen. Obviously, the opposition have uh, called for everything to be revealed, but, uh, gee, at this time of the year, um, coming up to Christmas, uh, I'm thinking it's going to be well into the new year uh, before we find out uh, any of those recommendations. Of course, uh, 
It was following that ABC report back in, in March of this year into team driving, race fixing, animal welfare concerns, review of the office integrity. Uh, all uh, manners have been uh, have been reviewed by Ray Murray. So, uh, yes, wait with bated breath now, David, as to uh, when we will see what uh, is recommended. Yeah, I would suggest it's a very extensive body of work. We'll, we'll keep on track with that story from Lonnie last Wednesday night. Now, first accused one the new market. I think it was second up. I noticed it was pretty well back to 13 down to 8.50. Mm. Yeah, it was very well tried. Uh, disappointed. Now with Glenn Stevenson, formerly Scott Brunton, trained. And look, it had run third and second in the new market the previous two years. So it's gone the third, second, first in three consecutive years. And uh, a really good training performance. Glenn said he was very disappointed with his first up run in Hobart when finished seventh in the good wood. He changed some training tactics. He ran it up sand dunes. He gave it plenty of water work. And uh, that certainly, certainly worked. And that gave Glenn his fourth win in the new market handicap. He won three times in successive years with Owen Wesley and now scoring with first accused. And Cody Jordan, who's now back riding with the Glenn Stevenson, that's her second. She won with the DeRoche two years ago and a lovely ride on first accused to land the money on uh, on Wednesday night. And Island Warrior won the feature three-year-old race. Mm, geez, it was very impressive too. This filly was well back in the field. Really good ride by Chelsea Baker to get it home. Johnny Blacker, the trainer, says it's the best ever three-year-old filly he's had. And John's been training for a long time and had some good horses go through the stable. So he's going to just take her through all the three-year-old uh, fillies classics throughout the summer with the Oaks being her main goal over 2,100 metres. And you suggest the way she won over that 1,200-metre uh, distance last Wednesday night, that stepping up in distance will be no uh, concern for her. We raced twice this week. We've got Wednesday and Friday. Friday at Devonport with the Golden Mile, the feature race there, and winner exempt from ballot there for the uh, Devonport Cup. And just before you go, some good news for Tassie regarding the, the Melbourne Cup for the Greyhounds that was run at Sandown on Saturday night. Yeah, Aussie Rock, look, he's bred and owned here in Tasmania, was a brilliant winner. He's now won 16 from 37 and uh, $770,000 in prize money it was a very strong performance from box five to win on uh, on saturday night he'll now come back home he'll be contesting the uh, the hobart thousand with the heats getting underway this thursday night you'd imagine he's going to be awfully hard to uh, to hold out the connections do have strong thoroughbred ties though uh, the part owners loretta mcshane and paul young uh, both come from a thoroughbred rack background the uh, loretta of course from mcshane clan with walter being her father and paul young's father uh, Tommy Young trained the Hobart Cup winner Nakajima in the 90s. So both come from a thoroughbred background, but uh, making the name for themselves in the greyhound industry. And uh, congratulations to them. That was a fantastic win. 100%. Good on you, mate. Thanks for this morning. Cheers. Colin McNiff joining us. And that's press room for Monday, the 4th of December. It's been one busy show and we've run over time. Hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks for your company, as always. And I look forward to you being with me again next Monday. Have a good day. Bye-bye.